Calling all Swifties and champions of change, Like a Girl Media is rolling out the red carpet for you with our Thrive Like a Girl contest. We're all about celebrating powerful women leaders who inspire us to dream big and push boundaries. And who embodies that spirit more than Taylor Swift herself? Here's your chance to see her live in concert. We're giving away two tickets to Taylor Swift's show in London on Saturday, June 22nd. Imagine being part of the magic, all thanks to Like a Girl Media. Entering is easy. Subscribe, share, and show us which episodes inspired you the most. Visit our website or check our social media for all the details. Don't just dream it, be it. Thrive like a girl and make this summer unforgettable. Contest opens globally. Voidware prohibited. Must be 18 or older to enter. No purchase necessary. Subscribe and share with hashtag thrive like a girl and tag us at like a girl underscore media for entry. Unlimited entries means unlimited chances. Winner chosen at random after contest closes May 20th, 2024. We'll be notified via DM. Make sure your profiles are not private. Check full rules on our site. This is your shot to see Taylor Swift live. Don't miss it. Hit Like a Girl podcast is a proud member of the Health Podcast Network. One thing I love about working with them is that they're mission-driven, which means that they're dedicated to featuring authoritative shows, hosts, and guests who take on the tough topics in healthcare with empathy, expertise, and a commitment to excellence. If you're looking for bingeable content related to the healthcare industry, they've got more than 8,000 episodes on demand waiting for you. From professional development, the patient voice, digital health, innovation and entrepreneurship, and of course, health IT, they've got you covered. So this is your official invitation to check them out at healthpodcastnetwork.com. Today, we have the pleasure of talking with the esteemed Julie Smith, who is the Clinical Product Manager at InterSystems. Her leadership focuses on strategy and product management at the juncture of healthcare delivery, clinical informatics, and software development. Julie started her career as a registered nurse and then got bitten by the need to upgrade the clinical systems that are used in the medical setting. She's passionate about her work, and we're excited to share her voice with you. So let's get started. Thank you for joining us today. We have Julie Smith from InterSystems on the podcast, and we are so excited to learn about and share her journey. I am Joy Rios. We are with Sharice Maynard as well. And Julie, can you please take a moment to share with us your piece of the health IT puzzle or where it is you live in the healthcare IT ecosystem. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. So as Joy mentioned, my name is Julie Smith. I currently work with InterSystems and I'm responsible for the longitudinal record of an individual. So everything that we know about a person across any number of health systems or community information systems or even health government entities that we may gather information for. But the way I got here was actually starting in first communications, actually, I worked in and then I became a nurse. And I was an emergency room nurse for for many years uh, through the transition from paper 
back in the day, all the way through to the requirements around moving to an electronic health record, and then actually moving it forward to say, hey, we're not only just doing this because we're required to, but now we're doing this because we can actually see the value and the benefit for our patients and for an organization and for a community and for a country even um, as we think about it. So that's where I made that jump to the IT space to say, I could see a gap at that point between sort of technology for technology's sake and clinical workflows and to say, let me help do that translation and let's bring those two together to be relevant. And so that's how I landed here at InterSystems. So what are some of the pieces of information that have been added to the patient record that maybe wasn't by requirement? And what are the things that make that record more rich for anybody who's you know really trying to decipher what's really good for the patient? When we think about this from a regulatory perspective, right, it started with specific clinical data elements to say, hey, you have to get this in an electronic fashion to, to meet a regulatory standard. But if we think about it more holistically about a person, we know that their housing status impacts their health. We know that their income impacts their health. We know that the number of people in their household impacts their health. So we could go way beyond the fact of whether a person smokes or not, but to actually say, what else is it about their entire livelihood and world that impacts our ability to deliver care? I've watched that transition. When I started as a nurse, I documented what the patient showed up for in the ER and only that tiny sliver of you have a headache, now we're going to treat this headache and out the door you go. Now we think about it as a whole person to say, hey, you may have a headache, but we actually now can take a look at your full record so we can actually understand you have this pattern and it may be due to stress and we may actually have some other community resources that we can give you. And that's really where we pull it all together. And that's how we create a whole picture of a patient's profile. So that's so interesting you bring that up because Sharice and I've been having some really rich conversations with women this summer. And that's been like what you just hit on is something that we've been talking about, which is how do you provide essentially a resource library and make sure that the people that who need it are able to access it? Is that something you guys do? Absolutely. So where I sit within inner systems is very much around pulling information from not just an electronic health record, but an immunization registry, for example, right? When we think about the COVID vaccine or from other community-based resources. For example, we have a, a program in the UK that says end-of-life care, which means that all the ambulance and paramedic staff can actually access your profile and understand what it is you want at the end of life. So they don't make decisions that aren't in your best interest and what you prefer. And so the health share product suite, which is part of where I sit, is around pulling data from everywhere and making it accessible at the point of delivery. We can do that and actually give you better care because of it. So I want to hop over a little bit and change um, the focus of this conversation just a tad. Let's talk about the um, sudden changes from the past year. So we were definitely besieged with um, changes, um, especially in our segment, right? So I'm wondering how the like different changes from the work at home initiatives to downsizing and restructuring, how has that affected your department and how were you able to navigate that? So one of the great things about um, the IT space in general is that we've all learned we can be flexible and we can still accomplish what we need to get done. Certainly in the health IT space, as I think about where we sit, we learned that we not only can do that from home, 
right? We continue to do software releases, et cetera, but we can also do it more nimbly. So with COVID and the pandemic, you know, early on, all we were interested in was, has this individual had a COVID test? What symptoms might they be presenting with that we could queue up to say, hey, you might consider one when those symptom checklists changed sometimes on a daily basis. So we were really thinking just the immediate need in front of you. Well, as that's progressed over time in the last year, now we're not thinking about testing as much. We're thinking about vaccine status, right? And those symptom checklists aren't changing as often, but we're actually looking at population level information. Hey, in this community, we can predict a spike because we see the test volume go up X amount and we see an increased positivity rate, et cetera, et cetera. And that's all data-driven, technology-driven. And that has actually informed public policy in a way that we haven't seen until this year, right? To have that nimble shift in focus with potentially even daily changes and recommendations. And that is all dependent on the data that that technology can pull together. And we still needed to do that from our home offices or dining room tables. So the, you know, we've all sort of had to become like these change agents, right? Everybody, no matter what the role, we've had to adapt to these changes, adapt to these changes. For your team or the team that you work within, was that particularly challenging or was it a smooth transition? Because the engine systems is no small, I would say no small friend to tackle. (laughs) Absolutely. I think we all went through that startling moment, you know, March a year plus ago, where we walked into the office that morning and then we were told to go home and, and we didn't come back. Right. You know, we had plants die in our little cubes and we had, you know, um, photo frames that were still running a year later that nobody had ever seen. Right. So there was certainly a, a jarring moment. But even so, one of the great things we have learned, because we do have offices around the world and we work with, you know, yesterday I was on a call with both Germany and then I was in the UK and then I was talking to Australia. And then, you know, so we can do this job from anywhere. So we didn't lose a beat. And in fact, some of our communications, I would say, were even strengthened because we no longer had to think about was, can I set up a meeting? Is it okay that that's not in person? That was the default. And so we actually became more nimble and actually became more informed of our global counterparts more quickly because of it. So speaking of communication, I mean, you guys are gathering such rich data. And when you're talking about population health and, you know, the insight that you have to specific regions or cities or whatever, you can really, even countries, you can dial it in Does that mean that you also are in communication with the local governments or community organizations? Like, how does all of that information flow so that all of the right people can get the right resources in play? That's a big deal. It's a a huge challenge that I think we happen to be particularly suited for. Um, As you mentioned, we are either the database platform level or the health information exchange level for interoperability in so many places already that we were the default aggregators of that information. And so some of those communication channels opened up more extensively during the pandemic. So when we think about how to roll out vaccines in Scotland, where we have an electronic health record and and, and information exchange in a, in a really robust way, we were a sort of a source of truth with the tools that were available. When in Italy, when it was having its crisis early in the pandemic, we helped build a, a huge number of dashboards related to um, outbreaks and pockets of 
bed availability and resource allocation because we had that information. You know, one of the great things is the tools were already there. We just had to take those pieces out of our toolkit and make them available and also increase that flow of communication with those regulatory bodies and with those leaders to say, hey, we can help inform this. And this is the data-driven approach that we can provide. You bring up regulation, which is a very interesting topic for me. I always believe that regulation doesn't keep up with innovation. So I'm wondering going forward, how do you think um, regulation is going to affect what we do and what you do in the space? So I think it's a great question. Part of inner systems philosophy and focus has been interoperability before that was a regulatory requirement. And when I think about the health share product suite, we're talking about things that have been around well before the meaningful use initiatives came out to say, hey, you have to move to electronic records. And so when we think about that, I think I agree that regulation does not keep up with innovation. And I would say that continues to be the case. So we can see regulatory focus now on greater interoperability in really meaningful ways, right? We're moving across outside of just a healthcare entity and saying, hey, payers, we want to incorporate you into this space. Uh, Community programs, we want to include this in this space, right? So we're pooling post-acute care providers, pooling you into this space. But the industry itself has already realized that need and continues to innovate in that. And so continues to go out further to say, we need housing data, right? As a great example, we need all of these other pieces of data because that actually um, creates a more complete picture to inform care. Awesome. Okay, so I am now going to shift a little bit. And you clearly have a big job. Like you have... I mean, I'm just impressed at like how much information you have at your fingertips, which means like your brain must just be overflowing all the time. (laughs) If somebody, so like what we're trying to do here with Hit Like a Girl is just kind of show what's possible for women in their careers and kind of show that there's a path forward and that they do make an impact and that what their work, how important their work is and how their contributions really matter. If somebody wanted your job, what would they have to do in order to get into a position like yours? I would say being a lifelong learner and always knowing there's more out there is imperative. You know, when I started as a young nurse, I was thinking about the patient in front of me and that was entirely appropriate. And I needed to learn how to expertly care for the person that presented to me in order to then be able to move beyond that. And for me, that, that, stepping stone path was an emergency room nurse and then an emergency room educator, right? Responsible for the education of the department to then becoming over into the IT space back when when they just looked for anybody who knew how to turn on a computer and say, hey, you can be a super user and teach your colleagues how to do this. And so each step along that way, I had to move a little bit out of my comfort zone and rely on the resources around me to go a little bit further. And, you know, once I moved into the informatics translation space to say, this is what clinicians are looking for. This is what the technology does. How do we bring those together? Then I understood what a hospital leadership team is actually looking for. I was no longer thinking about my individual patient, my individual department. I was looking at, you know, what does this hospital need? What does this larger organization need? And so just each step of that way, being inquisitive and saying, hey, this is how this impacts me, but it may not impact you and your organization the same way. 
Let me learn and find out. And so getting to where I am today is very much about just building on that over and over and over to say, now I am interested in the largest of the large organizations. And I am interested in regions of our country and countries in the world. I want to impact globally the ability to have information at your fingertips to be able to better care for someone. So as a woman in this field, I'm wondering, given your role and having the pandemic, we're still in it, but as we were in the deep woods of it, what were the challenges to transitioning from an office setting into the home? Are you finding yourself more productive? Were the challenges great or how did you work that all out? I think that we need to all acknowledge that there were more pressures on us when we could not compartmentalize and that the teams that I work with here and just talking to colleagues from other organizations, that was a universal challenge. And my children are out of the house, but I know lots of people who were juggling homeschool. I saw an article in the New York Times, I think it was last week that said, you know, greater than 50% of adults between the ages of 18 and 29 moved back in with their parents during the pandemic. That is actually greater than the Great Depression, greater than after World War II. I certainly had that experience. So we had all of a sudden more people in our house. And all of these could be very good things, but it forced focus, it forced time management, and it forced prioritization. So... When I'm at the office, it's easy for me to say, I'm at the office, home is home. When I was working from home, then I needed to make sure that I was thinking about things and allotting time for strategic considerations, for the nitty gritty of day-to-day tasks, and also still meeting the needs of everyone around me. And so there was a lot more to balance. And I think women have certainly experienced that. We've seen the research more so than than our male counterparts during the course of the pandemic. And so being very cognizant of that, being articulate about those needs and figuring out where those boundaries need to be and honoring those has been something that we've all worked towards. I heard an interesting phrase that was, you know, we're not all necessarily working from home now. We're kind of homing from work a little bit. (laughs) Sure. Absolutely. And so to that end, when you are not focused on work, what do you do to remain balanced? How how do you spend your free time? Just kind of maintain a level head. That's also a key thing to point out is it cannot just be work and Netflix, right? Even during the pandemic, Um, getting out of the house. I happen to live close to a pond. So for me, that was walking around the pond every day to remind myself life goes on. I mean, we all kept our six feet and we all had our mask on, but we still got to see the ducks and the swans and geese, right? And so there was this opportunity to remind myself of the greater world, interact with the greater world, not just do it from a computer screen. I keep thinking, and it's been a conversation that continues to come up, is like how much of it we don't necessarily want things to go back to what was normal before the pandemic and what is the new normal that we want to create and we want to contribute to. So is there anything you can share with us that is like, you know, personal for you of like, what is it that you would like to see in the world going forward, whether it's personally or professionally? I think that the pandemic exposed how flexible we can be and still accomplish what needs to get done. That the five-day work week being in an office may not be the ideal for everyone and that there are actual ways to be successful without being a, a roadblock. 
And so I certainly see that there's this opportunity to take advantage of some of the things that were that were learned in the pandemic. One, to be able to shift focus when needed from a technology perspective, creating that flexibility, having more tools in that toolkit box to say, this is a templated standardized approach that we can reuse for whatever the next pandemic may be or in many other use cases. But I also think about this in terms of finding where to place value and making sure that's what the focus is. We have a lot, I think, organizationally, corporately, just in sort of the way we have historically done work that is heavy reliant on meetings. And we've learned that actually there are other forms of communication that could actually suffice. So I can talk to four or five countries in a day, almost every day, without thinking about it. And pre-pandemic, I didn't do that. And I don't want to lose that game. And so that there's a lot of potential opportunity in moving forward. Wait, so if you're not doing that in meetings, how are you doing that? So we certainly have meetings, but we have fewer of them. They're more targeted, I would say. And there's, I actually saw an article yesterday around whether being in, physically in an office actually spurs innovation, right? Which is one of the sort of controversies of who, whether or not we should go back into the office. And, and this particular article was saying, uh, actually, there's not good data to back that up. What we lost in the pandemic, no question, was the wandering into the meeting room five minutes early and having that small talk and chit-chat. That didn't occur during us all working from home. We all showed up right on time and raced to the next one if we had one. And we didn't do nearly as much of that sort of personal touch base as we did. There's some loss in that. So figuring out how to still meet that is important. But we were certainly maybe a little more productive, too. So I have a question for you. We like to give our listeners little mindfulness techniques. So tell me, what is one, there, one thing that you do every day that keeps you in focus? I happen to have two puppies. They are pandemic puppies, which, you know, we've seen a lot of information about, which is wonderful. And all of my colleagues have been exposed to them working from home, which is another, you know, shift from pre-pandemic life. But watching them and taking care of them, going on walks with them is something that always reminds me that there's more to life than the task list that I have and the work before me. And so remembering that context is important. I'm taking a moment for play. It doesn't need to be hours, but even five minutes every day. It makes a difference. That's great advice. (laughs) Yeah, I can definitely attest to dogs being great for your mental health. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, Julie, thank you for taking the time to for with us today. This has been really great to get to know you and get to get a better idea of gosh, the impact that you're making not just, you know, in your area but worldwide. Like that must feel good. I imagine you feel you sleep well at night knowing that you're doing good in the world. Oh, well, thanks so much for having me. I mean, for me, the reason I went into healthcare and the reason I moved over to the vendor space is because I want everyone to have equitable access to care, which includes all of the information about you that will facilitate your care. And so you're right. I do. I love my job because I do get to make an impact there. And that's really important to me. And so the more I can help others get to where they want to go to better care for the people in this world, the more I want to do there. I love that. So if people wanted to follow you or see you online, connect with you in any sort of way, what would be the best way for them to do so? You can certainly find me on LinkedIn. I have to say with a name like Julie Smith, 
it's sometimes a challenge. So uh, there's quite a few of me, but um, just make sure that you look for me with InterSystems and you'll certainly find me there. If you wanted to read out, reach out something specific to InterSystems, you can always look at our website, intersystems.com. And my email for those professional contacts is julie.smith at intersystems.com. And I'd be happy to talk with someone. Wonderful. Well, thank you again. I am super impressed to know you and have the opportunity to spend this time with you. So thanks again. Well, thanks again. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thanks for listening. You can learn more about us or this guest by going to our website or visiting us on any of the socials with the handle hit like a girl pod. Thanks again. See you soon. This episode is brought to you by Chirpy Bird Inc. CMS's Merit-Based Incentive Payment System, or MIPS, is super complex. And if clinicians ignore the program or perform poorly in it, it can result in a hit to their revenue and reputation. Chirpy Bird is proud to say that more than 95% of its clients are exceptional performers in MIPS, meaning they've maximized the score that directly translates into their Medicare reimbursement rate. Chirpy Bird offers their audit-proof services to practices of all sizes through an affordable monthly subscription that includes unlimited access to a regulatory expert who guides them in knowing what data to track, how to create workflows that make capturing that data easier, and ensures that they submit it all to CMS on time and performing at its best. Contact Chirpy Bird today or learn more at chirpybirdinc.com. That's chirpybirdinc.com.